0: All right, so we are in uh, Luke 24, just briefly. Alistair read uh, this, this portion kind of in its entirety this morning. Uh, I'm going to read just a portion of this. We're, we're in a sermon series, just a short one, uh, and you see it on the front of your bulletin. It's called, Have You, Re- Have you Not Read? And maybe there's some confusion. Like, what does that mean? Well, Jesus uh, said that often to the Pharisees, right? And we just got out of a harmony of the Gospels, coming, coming forward and taking the Gospels and seeing what was written so that we might believe. And Jesus continued to accost the Pharisees as they came to him, claiming that he was sinful, claiming that he was in error. He would throw back to them, haven't you read? Have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read that this is what was to take place? Have you not read that I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in me, you'll have life in his name? Uh, and so he, he continued to say that. So I thought, as I thought through this, you know, have you not read? What, what was he referring to? What were the things that they should have read, that they should have known? Then that's what we're going to take a look at over the next three and then four weeks. Our fourth week would be Easter morning, and we're going to see the culmination of this happen. In fact, our text today uh, from Luke 24 is Easter morning. It is uh, He has risen. The, 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 remember the Alistair said this earlier? The women had come and said, hey, there was a report. He was risen. But there's two disciples that are kind of walking forlornly on the road to Emmaus. And they're like, what is going on? We don't understand these things. We don't understand these things. So picking up this, this passage in Luke 24, let's look at verse 25. He said to them, and he had kept himself from being revealed who he was, right? He, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I, I, I read that and I, I think of myself, right? I think of the the, the accusation Christ could make of me, and I, I don't want it to be one that says, how foolish you are, Brandon, and how slow you are to believe everything that's been written. Haven't you read this? Don't you know? Shouldn't you know this? He goes on, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So there, it's, when he says, hey, wasn't it necessary, there should be some knowledge that they have from the scriptures that say, What? Yes, it was necessary, right? It was necessary that this take place. They should know better. So what did he do? This is, this is where we got the theme of what, where we're going to head the next few weeks. Uh, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I, I would have loved to be been in on that Bible study. Right? Jesus going through the Old Testament saying, hey, let's start with Moses. Do you, remember, do you know where Moses is positioned in scripture? He wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? So he's like, let's go back to the beginning, and let's see me. Let, I'm going to show you Jesus. I'm going to show you myself from these scriptures. Amazing, right? What a great Bible study it would have been. So he says, let's go to Moses, and he talks about the prophets, and he talks about all the sacred writings of the scriptures. And oftentimes you hear this referred to as Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. So here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to look at what's written in Moses. So, have you not read what was written in Moses? Next week, it'll be, have you not read what was written in the Psalms? And the following week, have you not read what is written in the prophets, right, and and what they said about Christ? So, we're going to see that. And I told you last week, this would be a great opportunity to invite a friend, because we're going to show how Christ was seen in the Old Testament. And it wasn't just, oh, there's this guy that walked around on earth. Now, here's one of the things we have to capitulate, uh, and you you need to whether you want to or not. Jesus Christ is a real historical figure, a person who actually lived in history, and it can't be disputed. I mean, it it can be, I guess anything can be disputed, but you'll be in error to dispute that Christ never actually existed and wasn't a man who lived 2,000 years ago in Galilee and, and actually suffered and died. That's the accounts, historical accounts. What you do with that man, that person in history, is now between you and God and the Spirit. Of God, and it's very, very important for you and for me to see Him for who He really is, and not for you and I to say, "Well, this is who I think He is," or "This is how He fits into my religious paradigm." Or I like the groovy, uh, passive Jesus more than the guy whipping people in uh, in the the temple. Uh, You got to take Him for who He is. Uh, There's a great, great theologian. Great theologians have have said often that. You and I have a decision to make that Jesus, he actually lived. That's not the decision. The decision is to determine, was he actually who he said he was, Lord of all? Was he lying about that, which makes him not a good person, he's a bad guy? Or was he absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Crazy. Right. That, that's our dilemma we have. He was one of those things. So today, I'm not here to prove Jesus existed. He he did. What I want to show you is that how Jesus lived and what he taught and what he said about himself and how things that were written between 4,500 and and, and 500 years before he existed about him that show that he is who he said he was. Prophecy is amazing. Um, We we don't talk about it a ton here. I I just actually got a book while I was at a conference that was about that thick and has pages like the Bible, like the little thin ones. It's amazing. It's just so in-depth about biblical prophecy. I'm hoping to go more in-depth uh, into that sooner. But today, we're, and this, this last four weeks, we're going to take a look at some prophecies. So today, we're looking at three different prophecies written in Moses that talk about Jesus Christ. And we're going to see uh, and hope to not be foolish and slow to believe that he is who he said he is. When we learn what the prophets have spoken, it should bolster our faith. We learn not just about the what, but about the who they talk about. And the who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at number one. Number one, what was written in Moses? Number one was the promised seed. That was the first prophecy we're going to look at is the promised seed. So if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, again, we're going to be flipping through a lot of stuff here. Genesis chapter 3, very first book of the Bible. It should be an easy one for you. Genesis 3 beginning at verse 14, we're going to look at verses 14 and 15, Adam and Eve had just sinned and fallen out of God's good grace, and, uh, and now Jesus is speaking, and he's not speaking to the woman, he's not speaking to the man, he is speaking to the serpent, he's speaking to Satan, while the woman and man listen to what God has to say. Genesis three fourteen. so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any other wild animal you will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So that's, that's the prophecy. That's uh, from Genesis chapter 3. We're talking the very beginning of the Bible. We see a promise from God, something he says to Satan about the seed of the woman. It says, I'll put hostility between you and the woman, uh, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head. You will strike his heel. Now, there's been some debate about whether this passage is entirely or actually even messianic. If it's even talking about through the seed of the woman, Jesus. Now, most of us have learned this and thought about this and been taught this over so many years that, yeah, well, of course, that's the seed of the woman. But some say it's not. Some, some would say that uh, it's really just talking about uh, or foreshadowing the evil hostility between humanity and Satan that there will always be a hostility that good and evil will always be at odds and and there'll be a friction there forever Or even to a lesser degree some would say this is only about uh, a curse that he put on satan and that and that everyone now would be afraid of snakes that's, that to me is the minimum minimum we get out of that, right? And I mean that's and then we know that I mean everyone should be afraid of snakes Whew, Holy cow snakes and spiders, right spiders, too there's a question raised here, though, right? That, and, and we have to answer this question. And, and, and I believe very, very clearly Jesus is the answer to this question. And very clearly it is seen uh, answered throughout Genesis and then even the first five books of the Bible. The author, Moses, basically asks this question, or makes us ask this question. Who, then, is the seed? Who is the seed? So we're going to kind of just fast forward through a few accounts in Genesis and in Scripture that, that shows this and, and reveals this. Then we're going to go to the New Testament and see it as well. Uh, we're going to chapter 4, this next page over. Genesis 4, uh, verse 25, we're going to pick this up. Cain and Abel were uh, both sons of Adam and Eve, and we see in the story that Cain ultimately kills his brother Abel, right? And, uh, and then he goes off and he is cursed. There's a curse that continues uh, through his line, and through his seed, right? But Abel is now dead. So there, where's the seed of the woman? If the seed was just going to be whoever was born, and there'd be hostility, and it really just meant we're scared of snakes, she wouldn't have said this. Right? In verse 25 of chapter 4, after Cain had been gone and Abel is now dead, Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and he uh, and named him Seth, so another descendant of Adam and Eve. For God, for she said, So she said this. This is she who is listening to God curse the serpent, and listen to this promise, she said, God has given me another seed or offspring in place of Abel since Cain killed him. So we see already that the language in this scripture is that there is a seed that will be an enduring seed. That the seed of the woman will be enduring with God's blessing and sovereignty and his covenant for all people. Then we see the, the seed laid out in its genealogy in the uh, end of chapter 4 and into 5, and it ends up being going towards Noah. Look at verse 28 of chapter 5. One of the seed uh, down the line of Seth was then Lamech, and he was 182 years old when he fathered a son, and he named him Noah. Now, the genealogy here is not so descriptive. It's like this person and this person lived this long, and then this person had this person, and this person lived this long. It's kind of redundant, Right? I said last week or the week before, it's important, though, the names are in the book. If your name was in the book, you'd want somebody to read your name, too, so don't skip the names in the Bible. But we get to this point, and we see uh, Lamech was 182 year old, years old. He followed a son and named him Noah. And what did he say? He said, saying this, he, he's holding on to a covenant. He's holding on to a promise of God. He's holding on to the language that was seen in Genesis 15 that his mom heard, or, or his, his mother, great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, heard. What did he say? He says, this one, Noah, this one will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. What is still present as we, as we follow the seed? Knowledge about the curse and our need for relief from the curse. God promised that. Back in Genesis 3, 15, the seed of the woman was, was known to be the one that would bring relief because the curse had caused such hardship. Then we follow down to Abraham. Go to Genesis 12. This line just continues to follow down. And you think about the remnant that was spared through Noah, right? You remember what was happening around Noah, what he was famous for? Noah's ark, someone says ark, someone said flood, right? Noah was the one who didn't die, right? He and his sons, right, and their wives, they were the only ones spared. So, it, I mean, that seed kind of slipped through the cracks, right? And like he, it continued on. God, in his sovereignty, did that. He, he continued his, his line, this line of the seed. Genesis 12, 3. What did God say? He made a covenant with Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you. There's a blessing there. And what? I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Right? There's a curse and a blessing to be had. God's, God's covenant love is still on display. And he says, all the peoples on earth... Will be blessed through you. Wow, it sounds like what he told the snake about Eve, right? That that there's one through you, coming out of you, a seed that will end this hostility and and this curse. And he will, although you will strike his heel, he will crush you. He will crush your head. Going on, let's go to Genesis chapter 27. We have Abraham and we have Isaac and Jacob, right? And and so we see that um, the next part of this um, Isaac is. Actually, remember the story, Isaac is tricked by his son and his wife, right, to to give the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. But we see that in God's foreknowledge exactly that the seed must go through uh, Jacob. And so this is what happens. When Isaac Isaac blesses and gives the blessing and the birthright to Jacob, lets the seed continue through Jacob, he says in Genesis 27-29, he says, May the peoples serve you and nations bow in homage to you. Be master over uh, your relatives." May your mother's sons bow in homage to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, right? But those who bless you will be blessed. Listen, what's really important as we look at the seed uh, from, from Genesis, we see this promised seed, is for you and I to understand, and, and it's not hard looking at reality around us, that there is a hostility. There is an enmity between good and evil, between Satan and God, in the world. And you and I should feel, and we do feel, that tension in our hearts every single day. When we are tempted by the flesh to give in to sin and rebel against God's good, good, pleasing, and perfect will, this is what this hostility is. There's been a hostility that's been created, and the curse wants to continue to creep in, and, and Satan wants to continue to steal, kill, and destroy, even though he is as good as dead meat. So for you and I, what is this promise? If there's not a promise in the seed that will we'll get rid of this hostility and put an end to, this, to us being slaves to sin, then what good is the seed if it can't do that? There is a blessing. Even though there's a curse, there's also a blessing to be had. Now turn with me. Let's go to New Testament, uh, the book that starts with G. Galatians. Galatians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then Some of our team kid kids know this. They aren't here. They're in children's church. Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. And then we have what? Galatians. One of those small letters that Paul wrote. You ever think about how to remember the uh, small ones in order, the first four, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? It's the vowels, A-E-I-O. A, Galatians, E. uh, Sorry, A-E, Ephesians, I, Philippians, and O is Colossians. You'll never remember that, will you? It's okay. I did, I remembered kind of. Galatians chapter 3, looking at verses 8 and 9, then we're going to go to chapter, uh, verse, 6, verse 16. So this is picking up, Paul picking up this theology. So we, we fast forward to the New Testament, and what are, what are people saying? What are the apostles saying? What has been taught, what has been understood about the seed? And, we're, and, and by the way, the seed didn't just stop in 27. Like all of Scripture, we see this line and lineage go forward. We'll even see it in a few minutes in the next point in the next prophecy out of Genesis 49. So we'll get there. But Galatians chapter three, verses eight and nine. It says, now the scripture saw in advance. what a wonderful thing the scripture can do. sees in advance. It knows ahead of time that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham. So let's pause there. This is what Paul is saying. Paul saying, listen, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not only for Israel, is not only for those that are of Abraham and, and, and Israel, but A- Abraham's blessing was to all, that all the world could be blessed through him. Well, what is this blessing? It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what was it said? All nations will be blessed through you, right? Through your seed. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed by, or with Abraham who had faith. Now there's, a, now there's a faith that must be expressed in this promise that comes through Abraham. Go down to verse 16. Says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is who is it? Christ. It's, it's Christ. Who is the promised seed? The answer to the question that we're begged to answer, The one Moses says, listen, the seed is going to come, and we're all like, who's the seed? It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He is the seed. Galatians 4. Flip over one chapter. Galatians 4. Let's hear more about this. Verses 4 through 7. When the time had come to completion, God sent his Son, that's Jesus Christ, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now let's stop there. This is the so that. It's really important for us to embrace this, this seed, the promised seed, because it means something to us. It means something for us. That in the hostility between us and Satan, we were doomed in our own sin. We were doomed. But God, in His sovereign will, through the seed of the woman, brought us Jesus Christ. That you and I who are far away and enemies of God could be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. That we who were, were not part of the family could now what? Be sons and daughters. We might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God a spirit, sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, verse 7, here's again the so that, you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to sin. Through faith in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin and the flesh and the curse and the hostility and the enmity that was present. You're no longer a slave, but you are a son or a daughter. And if a son, then God has made you heir. That's the promise. The promise seed says, you who are far away can be brought near through Jesus Christ our Lord. If God would sustain a line, so the promised seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would be the fulfillment of this promise and blessing then you and I could believe and trust in faith. And that should bolster our faith. And all that believe would have life and freedom as sons and daughters. Christ, Christ, the seed of the woman, puts to rest the hostility and the power of the serpent for his sons and daughters. Amen? Let's look at the next Prophecy. What else was written in Moses, right? Have you not read? Number two, the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. I have an ironwood uh, sculpted or, or, uh, a lion on my desk reminding me that he's the lion. I, I think back to the C.S. Lewis, what? Chronicles of Narnia. right? We have this amazing lion, Aslan. It's an amazing imagery of who Christ is and points us more to Jesus. But it reminds me who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's go back to Genesis. I know you're in Galatians. Go back to the first book again. Galatians, back to Genesis. Genesis 49. Just about out of Genesis at this point. But the seed and the line is important here, and uh, I want to show this. And it is shown in chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. So we see that Jacob got the blessing, right, instead of Esau. And eventually, we know that Jacob had 12 sons, and that becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. And then remember what happened to one of the younger sons? His name was Joseph, right? He got kind of beat up and thrown into a pit, and they were going to kill him. But eh, let's not kill him, but sell him. Eventually, he gets, goes to uh, Egypt and ends up high-ranking person in Egypt, and he's able to, to discern what is going to happen in the, and through Pharaoh's dreams and through God's spirit, right? And then he decides, hey, we need to make a plan to save grain. Basically, the whole world is saved because God used Joseph in Egypt. Right? seems like the fortunate son, right? seems like the guy that gonna, we're going to see some good things happen out of. Look at verse 8 of chapter 49. So Jacob's called the brothers together, and he goes through in the first few verses the other brothers, basically going down the list of who, who is in and who's not in, who's going to get the blessing and the birthright, and who will not come and get the blessing. So you start with Reuben, you're my firstborn, right? And no, nope, it's not going to be you. And then he goes on to the next two. And n- Judah is actually number four, he's the fourth. And although Joseph is very, very amazing, his birthright, his, his shares kind of get split up. So he doesn't have quite the, the shares that uh, Judah has here. So let's see what he says about Judah. And as we do, I want you to maybe circle or indicate some of the words, and I'll inflect them a little more for you, that associate us with the Lord Jesus, whether our attitude towards him or his his authority that he he owns. He says this, Jacob to Judah, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches, he lies down like a lion or lioness. Who dares to rouse him? Verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he, whose right it is, comes. Ooh, ooh. And the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. He ties his donkey to a vine and the colt of his donkey to a choice vine and he washes his clothes in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth are whiter than milk. Interesting, isn't it? A lot of imagery there. A lot, of, and as he says that, he he goes on to this explanation of Judah and Ju, Judah that, that you're going to rule, and out of your rule will come the one who comes to rule forever. And and just some of the things we're not going to go deeper into them. But you see praise offered to him, people who bow down to him. You see this scepter and this ruler's staff that he has, and 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 that that is makes him authoritative over everything. You see this this, this idea of the foal, this humility of a donkey and a a foal or a colt. You see wine and wine being portrayed as blood as well. Interesting imagery there, isn't it? I want us to go from there to Psalm chapter 2. We are going to see a little bit more of this. We need to see how how does this pertain to the the Lord Jesus? What what does this mean, right? I think there's one great imagery here. Well, it's many, but a great place to go, Psalm chapter 2. And and we're going to read this through and you're going to see the imagery pertaining to from kind of Judah and how it pertains to Christ, and then we're going to go to Revelation. That's the last book of the Bible, by the way. Psalm chapter 2, unit verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers, they conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. They say, let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off of us. The one who is enthroned in heaven laughs and ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Talking about this imagery from Judah. Hey, Judah, you're going to reign. You're going to have the scepter, the staff. They're going to bow down. Going on. uh, Verse 7, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, here's the charge to people who hear and see this. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or He will be angry with you, and you will perish in your rebellion, for His anger may ignite at any moment. Let's just pause there for a minute. Remember that tension, that hostility, that enmity between the serpent and the woman, the seed? It still exists. Peace is there for the taking, but that tension will still exist for anyone, for anyone that is not in Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who does not bow down and pay homage to the Son, that that tension will exist. And this goes to the last verse. Look at this in uh, the end of verse 12. All who take refuge in him are happy. There's so much, so much here about ruling and scariness and anger and fear, but what does the Lord Jesus offer us? Refuge, safety, security. All who take refuge in him are happy. That's great imagery. Eyes in with Judah. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. This will be fun. Revelation 5. Good job, thumbing through your Bible. We're going to begin at verse 1. <clears throat> you know, we, we think about this idea of someone ruling and having authority over us, right? And, and we, we kind of tense up to that. Um, this idea of the Lion of Judah, it's like, okay, I, I, I get it. We've had other lions before us before. We've had other people who, who roared and who growled and who were angry and a bit. Like, I, don't, I don't know that I want someone just ruling over me. And really what we, what we say in our hearts and what we know in our hearts is there's not one that's really worthy to really rule over us. Not one worthy. And I love the, the text here in Revelation 5. Let's, let's read together. Verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. It was sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. Isn't that desperate? Don't you feel desperation? There's no one worthy. I wept and wept. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Amen? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is that? Let's go on. Then I saw the one like a slaughtered lamb. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion is actually the lamb. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures uh, and and among the elders. And And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went, and he went, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Oh, man. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and, and the twenty four elders fell down before the lamb, each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song I, before we see this song, I, I want you need to know like you and I need a new song. there isn't anyone worthy right there's no one worthy to lead us and have authority over us, to, to take care of the hostility that we feel, to take care of the sin problem in our, in our own hearts. There's no one worthy except the lamb. There's no one worthy. And we need someone who is worthy. And, and we need to embrace through faith the one who is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he wasn't just installed there and said, you're going to rule and you're going to like it. He showed himself worthy because he is the lamb who was slain. He was slaughtered, it says, on your behalf. He was slaughtered on my behalf. I deserve to die where that lamb died. But he was the unblemished lamb. He was a lamb that didn't deserve to die. He was a lamb that could atone for your sin and for my sin. That's this lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And now the lamb has died and he was risen and the lamb has become the lion of the tribe of Judah who is worthy. I think about the imagery. He walks up to the Father on the throne and he reaches to grab the scroll. I'm like, no, 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 don't do it. Nobody's worthy. Nobody's worthy. If you do that, you're dead meat. Everyone watches in anticipation and the one that was slaughtered takes the scroll out of his hand. And what is the response of everyone watching? To bow down in worship. You were not made to worship. You could not help but worship the one who is worthy. And they sang a new song. This is the new song that we sing because we know who the lion of the tribe of Judah is. They sang a new song. Worthy, right? You're worthy to take the scroll and and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. He is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, And He's the lamb who was slain for us. There is hope in Christ. And so for, because there's hope in Christ as the lamb, there is hope in Christ's supremacy and rule and authority as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is not an unworthy ruler. He is worthy. And through his humble sacrifice of himself, he is worthy to be supreme over all things, over kings and creatures and creation and Satan, and sin, and death, and of you. He is the worthy one. He is worthy of your faith. He is worthy of your love. He is worthy of your devotion. Won't you sing a new song to him today? How happy you'll be when you take refuge in him. What's the third prophecy we'll look at today in Moses? Number three, there will be a prophet like Moses. There will be be a prophet like Moses. Moses. All right, you ready to turn? Deuteronomy, chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, chapter 18, please. Little pages are hard to turn to. Deuteronomy 18, we'll begin with verse 15 and go through 19. Moses speaking here, he says, The Lord will raise up for you you, a prophet like me from among your own brothers. I love that seed going through, right? You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire and anger any longer so that we will not die. Like we are tired of this face-to-face death thing. I, like we need, we need a prophet. We need someone who will lead us. Then the Lord said to me, "That they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers." This next part of the verse: I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words, that he speaks in my name. So who is this prophet like Moses? A the theologian would say, oh, well, there's tons of prophets that came after Moses. Lots of them came that, that, that told God's people what God had said. But it's a little different when we look at a prophet like Moses. And, not only, and we kind of have to see that because we look at the New Testament and see that this, these Jewish people were expecting somebody else. Somebody called the Prophet, capital P, Prophet, by the way. Like they're, they're, they knew Jeremiah was there. They knew Isaiah. They knew Ezekiel. They, they knew Hosea. They knew the prophets, you know, but they were expecting someone else. They were expecting the prophet, the one like Moses. So if you look at the book of Numbers, you don't have to turn there. Uh, chapter 12 it says this He said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream. This is talking about the little pea prophets. Not so with my servant Moses. Why are we saying this is important? Because Moses, his servant, said, it will be like me, a prophet like me. Not just your ordinary average prophet. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in in, uh, all my household. I speak with him. Here's how it's different. I speak with him directly, openly, not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? He's the form of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 34, if you're still in Deuteronomy, let's look at that one. So there's something unique and special about this prophet that's coming. 34.10. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Face to face. No prophet had ever done that. Moses did that, and now we see there will be a prophet like Moses who will do that, who will know the Lord face to face. And he was, speaking of Moses, he was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his officials and to all the land. Unparalleled. What does that mean? Could not be rivaled. No prophet after him was doing the same things that Moses could do or demonstrated. But Moses, what did Moses say? There will be a prophet like me there will be a prophet like me. So let's go to the New Testament and see what the New Testament says. See what Jesus says and see what the people were saying in the New Testament and see what we can really conclude about the prophet like Moses. We're in John 1. John the baptizer is there. He's proclaiming the truth of the gospel that that Christ has come. He's made his dwelling place among us and and that John knows. He's He's like, I'm the forerunner. I'm pointing to the Messiah. And he looks and says, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We, we know that's John the baptizer. But they, they're like wondering, who is this guy? He is, he is proclaiming some crazy stuff. Like he's powerful and strong and people are coming to hear him. So they asked in verse 21, what then they asked him? Are you Elijah? are right, expecting Elijah to come back and be there. And, and he says, I'm not. Then they said this in, in verse 21, the last part of it, it says, are you what? The prophet. Are they asking if he's Elijah? No, they just did that. Are they asking if he's somebody else? Like, like Jeremiah come back or Ezekiel? No. They're asking, wait are, you, wait, are you the prophet? Are you the one, the one like Moses that we're supposed to see and have? That's what they're asking. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Well, who, who are you then, they asked. We need to give an, give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? This is great. So he, he was asked, are you the prophet? And here's what he says. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said. I love it. You could can, can kind of round about it this way. They say, are you the prophet? Are you the one that they're, they're speaking of? He's like, no. I'm just here to point to the one. Jesus Christ. He's the prophet. Well, Jesus talked about himself as a prophet, right? In Matthew, he said this, that they were offended by him. and He said, he said to them, a prophet, speaking of himself, a prophet is not with, or was not without honor except in his own hometown and his own household. Right? He says, I'm here as a prophet and I'm without honor in my own house. Well, the people considered him a prophet too. At least the little pea prophet. And in Matthew 21, they, they were looking for ways to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because the people, the crowds regarded him as a prophet. We want to arrest Jesus, but we can't. They think he's a prophet. Probably more accurately, they think he's, the prophet, right? John 6, this is, this is really, it tells what they think. Uh, in verse 14, when people saw the signs that he had done, again, what were these signs that he was going to do? Like Moses, unparalleled, right? Unparalleled signs and wonders. Jesus was doing those. He had, they saw the signs and they said this, this truly is the prophet. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one. This, we see him, he is the prophet, the prophet like Moses. Same thing happened in John 7, verse 40. Some of the crowds heard these words. They said, this truly is the prophet. The prophet. What words? So we saw, that's kind of two things that we saw with Jesus that, or the prophet that would relate to, uh, well, two outright. There's, there's many, multiples of these things. One, we saw that Moses, face-to-face with God, right? We know that Jesus also communicated face-to-face with the Father. We see that even in his high priestly prayer in John 17. There was a face-to-face, a familiarity, an intimacy, uh, a oneness, a God of God in Christ to be able to say he he accomplished that. Check the box off, right? Another thing, though, that that they wanted a prophet, a prophet like Moses who would speak the words of God, would speak the words of God. Here we have Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, on earth, speaking whatever the Father wants him to say. And he is sharing the truth of the gospel, and they are not believing, and that's why he's led to say, haven't you read? Have you not read this already? Shouldn't you already know this? And then the other thing was, the unparalleled miracles and power that Christ had over demons and over uh, physical abnormalities and over disease he, he was powerful in word and in action, in fact, unparalleled. We'd even see it, I don't, I don't write these down, but even Peter and Stephen considered Christ to be the prophet like Moses in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 7. We see the disciples, people, the followers of Christ. Yes, he, he's the prophet like Moses who has come. So what does this mean for us? Really, we talk about the prophet like Moses. We have to understand that the one that is the prophet like Moses has come. His name is Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He was face to face with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And as he came, he did miraculous signs and wonders, unparalleled. But those things should lead us to know him more intimately as the Savior who gave his life for us that we might also have life. Because he spoke words that also said, you and I need a Savior. You and I need to repent of our sin and turn to faith in him. The question is, are we going to believe what he says? Are we going to believe him for who he said he is and who the scriptures say he is? Let's, let's end our time together in the word and back in the book of Acts or in the back of Luke again, back in Luke, Luke 24. We'll, we'll end where we started. Maybe this will be a, an urging for you, a, a, a prompting for you and for me to, to really get this right. Luke chapter 24, again verses 25 through 27. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Listen, it's so, so important for you and I to come away today not wanting to be foolish. right? Not, not wanting to, to not know and not to believe what Christ has said. I don't want to be foolish and slow to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is and he is exactly who the scriptures said he. Jesus is the seed that was promised to us. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Amen. Let's stand together and pray and then continue to respond and worship to the Lord. We invite our children back in as well. Father... Uh, I read prophecy and I look at the Word of God and I'm just amazed at how accurate it is and I shouldn't be amazed at all. It's foolish to not believe and I don't want to be slow to believe all that you have said. God, help us in our own heart to not be slow to believe, not to be foolish with what you have written. It is your Word and God, we don't just look at the red letters. We look at all of the letters. We look at it all. It's all profitable for us. And it all points us to Jesus. And in our, in our last series, God, we know that these things are written, that we would believe in Jesus Christ. God, wherever we are today, I, I pray that you would be moving our hearts towards a place of, of humility and repentance and openness to the Son of God. That we would turn from our ideas of who, he, who we thought he was or who we wanted him to be. We would turn from whatever the world is putting, uh, pouring down and shoving down our throats, Lord, that we would, we would turn to him in faith. Because He was the Lamb who was slain and is now the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And He is worthy. He is worthy to be followed. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be believed. God, we ask that You put a new song in our heart. As we leave, we would feel new. We would, we would be new because You make all things new. We thank You that You are the One who is worthy. We give You all the praise. We pray in Christ's name.